Hello and welcome back. It's the BMW Blog Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 1. Um, so it's a new season. It's very exciting. And we're kicking it off without uh, a hurry show, but we have Chuck on. Chuck is on to talk about uh, a lot of fun stuff. So um, what we're going to talk about today is uh, we're going to talk about uh, EV winter driving tips. Um, I'm going to talk about my experience with the BMW M4 CSL, uh, my first drive with that. Uh, Chuck's going to talk about the BMW iX, and I drove that as well, so we'll kind of like give our, like he'll give his thoughts, I'll give my thoughts, we'll just kind of talk about that. And uh, we've got a little bonus topic maybe if we have some time, so uh, hi Chuck, how's it going? Hey, great Nico, how are you? Good, thank you. It's good to have you on, uh, you're, t- you're the first you're the first guest for season two, kind of like kicking it off. So I know you wanted to talk about EV winter driving tips, and you have an EV literally right behind you. We can see the... Uh, a 2021 BMW i3s. It's uh, been our third one. Yeah, yeah. You've had... You're the only other person I know, aside from Rachel, who's had three i3s. Um, but yours is... Is it Galvan... How is it, what's the... Galvanic Gold. Yep. It's very rare color for the i3. Very, very, very cool color. Yeah, it, uh, I think it looks great with the contrasting black. The color looks great. In fact, it was the last batch of i3s that BMW made uh, were in this color combo with black wheels and uh, this galvanic gold. It uh, is a really, it's kind of a stunning combination. Quirky car, but it's a stunning combination to me, the color-wise. It's definitely cool. I, I always like the i3s looks. Um, not that it's necessarily a pretty car, but it's just like a very fun, kind of cool looking car. And I think that, that gold, <laughs> excuse me, that gold makes it like, it's just such a funky color for such a funky car. And I think it's so, it's just a, such a cool color combo. For sure. Our, our first one was uh, uh, the, a really bright orange color. And it was, you know, when the car was brand new in 2014. And we got, I got more comments on that car literally than any car I've ever driven. Yeah, it does look like nothing else. Um, it really does. So speaking of your i3, you um, are one of also the only people I know that regularly drives their i3 even in the winter you know even in the snow you regularly use winter tires so you are correct it's a it's a year-round car for us and we live in the midwest and we get maybe around 25 30 inches of snow in the winter and uh, our day job you know we don't uh you have the option of not going to work meaning if it snows we're going to work regardless so um, you know, it surprisingly has is, is not been difficult to get around in the snow, but we, we use uh, snow tires. We've had two sets, three sets actually. Um, and um, we're probably my favorite with the Nokia and Haka Politas. Uh, they're incredible snow, snow and ice tires. Maybe the not, not the best if you're doing ton of highway driving in the dry and no snow, but uh, when it was really bad or snow or ice, uh, the Nokia and Haka Politas, those, those things were really, the car was unstoppable. I, I literally remember going up multiple times, going past sport utes that are stuck going up a hill, and I would just go around them uh, with these with these snow tires on, and I, they must have looked at the car and thought, what, how is that possible? Right, which is remarkable because it's a, it's a rear-wheel drive car, and the tires are so skinny. They're so skinny. They're crazy, crazy narrow for sure. I don't know if you can see them, but they're they're like literally tiny. You know, they don't look like they they really look don't like they don't look like they should be on a car. They're they're that narrow, uh, but they're great in the snow. It, I remember when the i3 first came out, um, the the width of the tires was such a talking point because BMW wanted you know I guess low rolling resistance and stuff like that, and the skinnier tires helped with that. But because the wheel is so tall, like it's such a big wheel. It's a tall tire, so you're actually getting a similar contact patch on the ground that's just not wide. Or elongated, it's just not not as wide. Uh, With the winter tires, despite those skinny profile, um, or the skinny, uh, the, you know, skinny width, it's, you know, the profile is as such that it's, uh, it provides enough grip that you can handle the snow. And because it's an EV, you know, it's got that weight load down the battery. So maybe that helps too with traction. I'm not really sure, but yeah, uh, with the second generation, uh, one that we had the i3s, uh, 2018, they added the traction control that could make, uh, I don't know, a ton of more computations per second. And it, it's traction control is much, much better. And it was noticeably better. 
um, and in terms of it, the slippage, if you start to get slippage, it can regulate the torque. It's just, uh, it's, you know, it's never been an issue for us. If the snow gets really deep, if it gets over six or eight inches, it, the front end will snow plow and you're pushing snow. But uh, I've never, never gotten stuck, which is shocking, really. It is actually incredibly shocking, you know, especially because BMWs typically have a bad reputation for snow driving because they're high torque rear wheel drive cars and people don't know what they're doing and they never put winter tires on. But um, it's shocking that such a tiny little electric <laughs> rear wheel drive hatchback is so good because of those Nokians. Um, so aside, uh, now I'm sorry if I missed what you said. Did you say, were they the studded ones or no? They're not, are they the studded? Uh, no, no. I've had uh, tires that you could stud, but we don't, you know, they're so good about plowing the roads here after several hours that, you know, you don't, unless you live in Colorado and you always drive in the snow, uh, it's best not to have studded tires. I know that the Nokian sells them studded as well, right? I think so too. So I was just, that's why I was curious. And then we had, we had a set where you could actually install the studs if you wanted. And, you know, I would, can't imagine how many hours that would have taken, but, but you could see where you could put them in, but, uh, no, no doubt. Um, and never really had to put chains on them either, but uh, traction has really never been an issue, but we've always used snow tires and I've, I've been a big proponent of snow tires, uh, you know, even over all season tires, especially with the rear wheel drive, uh, propulsion system that this has and the, the BMW i4, the, the lower rowing model is a rear wheel drive car. So I think if you live in the snow belt with one of those or one of these, um, certainly, uh, snow tires is, is needed, but if you had a BMW iX and it was all-wheel drive or the BMW i4 M50 with all-wheel drive, I think you could get away with uh, all seasons, but as the Germans like to call them, no seasons. Yeah, it's actually funny. I have a set of Michelins that I've been dying to try out uh, that I haven't put on my car just yet. It's uh, the Cross Climate 2s. They're like all seasons, but they're designed for the snow as well. They're like three peak mountain snow rated. I'm dying to try them out on my little rear wheel drive three series to see if they can actually handle what they say they can. When I daily drove my E36 M3 sedan, I had Michelin Arctic Alpins and same thing, you know, rear wheel drive, you know, maybe 50, 50 weight distribution, but without tires like that, I would have been dead, you know? So I'm certainly a big proponent of, of snow tires. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, now in terms of like winterizing your car, I, you know, like, you know, EVs are quite a bit different than a normal, obviously gasoline engine car. There's no fluids to change. There's nothing like, you know, some people will use like maybe different uh, oil in the winter, but you know, there's not, none of that here. So are there any other tips for winterizing your EV specifically? For sure. I mean, for, for our i3 and actually for, this is a BMW X3 plug-in hybrid here. We are big proponents of... Um, these incredible floor mats made by uh, WeatherTech, and they are um, indestructible in the winter. You step in the car with a huge amount of snow and slush on your feet, and these WeatherTech mats, they just kind of hold on to the snow and the slush, and then you just pull them out and hose them off, and you're in business. We actually did a video. They were kind enough to send us a set, and we did a video on them on the X3, and uh, we you know, we still, I have a set that from 2014 is in this car right here and they still work great. You know, you just wash them out. Um, you're good to go. And then the other thing that we did to winterize the car was to throw a really good, uh, snow broom or, you know, a, a scraper in it. And actually my favorite snow scraper is from BMW. If you go to their website, like uh, bmwusa.com's website and you buy it where you buy like shirts and, trinkets like that uh coffee cups that kind of stuff they they sell a uh i don't know it's probably two feet long um uh, snow snow scraper that uh, has a broom on one end and a scraper on the other so we i have one of those in, in all our cars and and then the winter floor mats that's in the snow tires um, but otherwise functionally we don't do anything to it to, to make it work in this, the winter. I mean, the only other thing we really do for our BMW EVs uh, in the winter is make sure that we keep them charged. Uh, you know, in, when it gets incredibly cold, uh, you know, the, the batteries are not as efficient, you know, and you're not only using the charge in the battery, which is meant to make you go from point A to point B or propulsion, that same energy is also used to heat the cabin, heat your heated seats, and uh, clear the 
you know, defroster. So it can really stress the car a lot when it's super cold. So if we're going to go on a long trip in this, then um, we'll plug it. You can see it maybe right there. We have a Clipper Creek charger and we will precondition the car. And that that is kind of a unique way to do that for a BMW. You have to actually in the car program it either through the app or through the iDrive and tell it your departure time. And then the the BMW needs at least own hour, hour and a half to warm up a really cold battery. So you can't really push a button and then leave in five minutes and then call it preconditioning. You have to set a time and BMW kind of gives you two options when you're, you're plugged in and you're in a garage. I mean, if we're just going to commute to work, I hit a button that they call climatization, which is on the app and it can warm the cabin up and turn the heat on and um, it raises the temperature to 72 degrees. Um, BMW is really interesting in that, in, in that they've chosen 72 degrees. Um, um, even if you had a, like a seven series and you push the button to make it, it they choose 72 degrees, uh, regardless of the temperature outside. If it's freezing outside, obviously it's going to turn the heat on. If it's in the summer and you hit that, it's going to turn the air conditioning on. But in the winter, we, we do use that to heat the car up before we leave, but we don't use preconditioning just to go 13 miles to work. Um, but if you're going to go, you know, it's Thanksgiving, uh, you're going to go to grandma's 100 miles away, you'd probably want to precondition the car. And, you know, it involves two steps, programming the car and then making sure it's plugged in. And, uh, you know, you'd want to do that the night before or at least an hour and a half before. But but uh you know the app has made it much easier it's definitely a good tip because it'll maximize not only will it maximize the um the battery range because it's not a cold battery um but as you precondition the car you know it's doing the initial heat up while it's plugged in so you don't use that battery while you don't use the battery to heat up the car and it's the most you know the coldest part which is you know obviously the hardest part now in the winter have you noticed like you know, what's the sort of range drop you've noticed in the winter? Like, how bad does the cold weather actually affect the battery? Depends on how, like, if, if the car, occasionally I work nights, and when the car's been out in the garage overnight, and it's, you know, 10 degrees Fahrenheit, it's well below you know, minus 5 or 10 Celsius, and the battery pack is frozen, I mean, really cold, and you're not plugged in, um, you do notice the the range, but if you go to accelerate, the the battery can't dump electricity and they can't receive electricity as fast. So you will get kind of like a throttle limitation on how fast you can accelerate, and you'll see a little grayed out area in in the uh, power, like kind of like a power meter thing that the BMW has in the. Uh, no, I didn't know it affect acceleration. Oh yeah, if it gets if it gets really cold, well, for sure in that scenario it's going to be affecting the range also. Um, but it, uh, you know, the weird part until the battery warms up a little bit. The more you use it, the more it starts warming up. Uh, but when the thing gets really cold, or the people that live in Arizona, when the, these things get crazy, crazy hot, uh, you know, they they get outside of their, you know, their ideal operating temperatures, and they they, they can't. Um, you know, dump and receive electricity when you accelerate and, you know, regen as you're slowing down. So that you, you notice that even in short commutes, um, you know, I will be honest, I haven't, I haven't gone, you know, routinely a long distance in a really, really cold battery because you just, you're setting yourself up for a challenging trip, uh, you know, and a stressful trip. And, you know, my, my whole thing with driving an EV is that I want it to be no stress. That's why we're fortunate. We have, you know, home, you know, the Clipper Creek home charger. We uh, keep the battery topped up, uh, literally, uh, you know, all around town. I just really don't find that I have to plug in. You know, even if I'm going a hundred miles in a day, I don't, I don't plug in, but if I were going to be somewhere and have to leave that location in the cold and go a long distance, for sure, I would do the preconditioning and have it charged up and have the cabin heated as much as you could, because otherwise it would be an extremely stressful trip. And, uh, 
it's not fun to be on the interstate going slower, uh, trying to not expend energy. And, you know, fortunately that's, I've driven, you know, these since 2014 and I've never, never experienced that. But again, you know, it's something you just, you, tr you try to avoid and, you know, those are, those are the tricks. Yeah, it, it is certainly something that the, the EV at the moment is something we have to kind of adapt to. Um, like cars have over you know a hundred years cars have sort of adapted to us because we built them around our lifestyle but now with evs you know the infrastructure is very different so we have to adapt to it and we have to adapt to how we use the car and um, i think that can be challenging for new customers who are not used to that because i, I talk to a lot of people who don't have any idea about evs and you know the they're constantly there's i mean it's, range anxiety is still very much uh you know a fear among non-ev customers and especially in the cold they're very kind of concerned with how you know batteries handle the cold and and what happens if you get stuck in the cold and you know there's a, there's a lot of that anxiety but i think what you're proving is that with just like a little bit of planning just it's not a lot you know it's just it's a little bit of just extra thinking ahead you can pretty much like you said you've never had that issue so um, with these tips that you're giving, you can really avoid any major problems with just kind of a, it doesn't really take that much more effort. So, um, you're proving that it, yes, we do have to adapt to EVs right now, but it's not hard and it's not a lot. And, you know, we use this, I mean, BMW, when they announced this car and they, they had announced that their, their idea was that it would be a city, the ultimate city car, which you know, its range is still, you know, less than 200 miles now, but it's 180-ish or so, and which is pretty good. But it it's not, you know, driving across the United States with it would be challenging. And, you know, we use it in town. Granted, I mean, we put probably 95,000 miles on them driving them in town. But, but they're a superb around-town commuter car, nothing handles like it you know in tight parking spaces you can literally park the thing anywhere um, it is such got a such tight turning radius um, it's it's been a great car yeah no it, it for sure it is a it's a great little city car um, I've tested them several times and I've en always enjoyed it it's such a like hilariously fun little car super short wheelbase you know, it's it's almost mini, like original mini-like in the sense that like the wheel, it's almost a square profile, like the wheels are stretched out to the corners. I have uh, I have spacers on this car to adapt because it has wider wheel arches and um, being the S and to adapt my tires, I had to get wheel spacers for, the, for these and the wheel spacers that fit on these are the ones from the Mini. So clearly BMW is using hubs from the Mini and there's a lot of Mini components and it has a lot of uh, Mini architecture to it. In fact, my neighbor across the street has a, a the Mini um, Cooper electric and it it has uh has bmw i3 parts in it the i3 motor a lot you know a lot of similar similar components yeah for sure uh but they they love it and they you know they've asked me a lot of questions about it. in fact i got a lot of questions at work people always ask me question car questions at work and today's the, the focus of the car questions were like the guy wanted to go drive a bmw i4 but he was concerned about how do you drive it across the country? And, you know, there are, um, you know, there are, there are big charging networks in the country, like uh, Electrify America is another one. Um, you know, EVgo is one, ChargePoint is another one. So there, there are ways to get around the country in pure EVs, but it's, it is certainly more of a challenge. Uh, and I think, you know, I've done some big road trips in a Tesla before, and, and I think people don't appreciate that even with these fast chargers, you're going to add 25, 30% to your trip in terms of the time, especially the farther you go in, um, the more, you know, the more you're going to end up charging. And, and uh, the charging infrastructure for the non-Teslas is is a lot more challenging and um you know that will get better with time but you know he i think is interested in the i4 but i think it'd be hard to go on a big road trip across you know kansas to colorado or you know across the midwest could be especially the middle of the country might be more difficult than say the east coast or the west coast which is going to have more chargers available now actually that raises an interesting question so do you still have your model three i do so 
as someone who has used both the supercharger network extensively and non-supercharger network, how much more difficult is it to use Electrify America or um, you know ChargePoint or any of these other? Uh, you know, in town where I live, there's over a thousand ChargePoint chargers, but they're, most of them are slow chargers, so they're uh, like, or people call them destination chargers, right? Like if you're going to a hotel, you plug in there overnight, it's going to fill the car up fine. You know, though, those work great. Um, you know, again, that works more ideal for trips that aren't that long. Like they're maybe one and a half times your battery range. Um, those aren't so painful, but if you go super far distance, then you realize how much better the Tesla charging network is than, than the other ones, which are slowly being built out. I mean, if you go to this town in Kansas, it's not far from here. Uh, and it might have two uh, Electrify America chargers, but there's going to be eight Tesla superchargers. So, I mean, the, the the quantity of the the other, you know, the other brands, the other the other ones, you know, it's starting to get there, but it's it's still uh, it's still not the. You're going to see two Electrify Americas versus you're going to see eight Teslas, and then. You know, as more people buy more EVs and they start getting more adventurous with them, and you take your Ford, you know, Mustang EV, and you take your BMW i4 uh, long distance, then then more people competing for two chargers is much more painful than more people competing for eight chargers. So you know, then it get then it gets the inconvenience factor because you you want to get there and you want to immediately plug in because it can take a while, even in, with a DC charging it can take a little bit of time compared to like just a gasoline fill up but uh, you know if you can't physically plug in because they're occupied it's not fun yeah for sure and I think the the real advantage of Tesla superchargers is also the one is the ease of use because uh, I'm sure you've pulled up to an Electrify America station and it doesn't work or it won't connect to your account because every time I pull up to Electrify America, like it never is, it's never smooth. It's not integrated into the car. Like the, if you, if you program a trip in a Tesla from point A to point B, it's going to say, okay, you drive here, stop at this supercharger for, and it'll tell you which one to stop at. It'll give you directions there. It'll tell you how many minutes to stop. And then it'll even tell you if you push an icon on the, the, the head unit, how many stalls are occupied at that moment, which is kind of pointless because you know in an hour hour and a half when you get there it's obviously that the numbers are going to be different but at least it lets you know if there's there's openings and how full it is um i give tesla and elon musk a ton of grief i'm a big critic of that man but one thing i will not criticize the supercharger network because it's by far and away the best it's maybe the biggest asset of you know one of the biggest assets by tesla i mean you really can make it your only car and and the others are being built out, but they're just not there yet. And their integration with the the cars is is not the same, and it's not as smooth like you talked about the issues. And Johnny Lieberman, he posts all the time, like giving the finger to this DC charger that won't work, and he's in his Rivian, and you know it's, it's just it's more challenging. That's for sure. That's what with the benefit of the i3 is. You know, it's in town. We don't we don't really, except for a couple times, have needed to you know you know gone on trips far enough where you would need to dc charge it and been lucky those trips that the chargers were open and you know for sure and another thing that i've noticed um you know with non-tesla chargers is that most of them are pretty slow uh it's rare at least i'm in new jersey it's rare that i find a charger that is 150 kilowatt you know which is if for anyone who doesn't know ev talk that's like your standard DC fast charging, like your real fast charging. There's 50 kilowatt, which I think is still considered DC fast charging, but it's just not. It's just, it's still too slow. Fast as this one will go, that's the fast as this one will take a charge. DC charge is 50, which you know it's got a small battery, 44, but it uh, fills it up fast. But even once you start getting to an IX, then those batteries are 100, and then then you're you know. But those those can also take a charge faster. But I mean, you know, your home charger here, like this one, can do seven or eight kilowatts in an hour. You know, a 50 DC charger will do 50 of those in an hour. 
a Tesla supercharger might do 250. You know, if you have a Porsche Taycan and you can find, a, you know, some of these super fast chargers, they, they claim, yeah, that you can go that fast. But, you know, I think when the Taycan was released, they had two of those chargers in the U.S. And one was Atlanta at the delivery center there. The other one was in, in uh, L.A. with that delivery center. So, again, I'm sure it's getting built out, but it, it's it's not there yet. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, um, and you, you mentioned Johnny Lieberman before, you know, we've had him on the podcast before. And, uh, you know, I, I've been a fan of his for so long, uh, so I follow him as well. Yeah, um, one of the things, he's a big fan of um, the Lucid Air, and I was reading a discussion of his uh, with people kind of complaining about, like, because like, I think it can charge a 350 as well, 350 kilowatt, um, which is like lightning fast, you know, for EV charging, but, right, exactly, and someone was said, like, well, you know, where are you going to find those things, you know, and his his argument was it does like 500 miles to a uh, battery like why even bother charging like you're just, just going to get to where you need to go you know like how how often are you going to go more than 500 miles in one sitting so it raises the question like do we as battery tech advances to such a point like are we going to rely so heavily on uh infrastructure charging if you could do five six hundred miles in a, in a shot that's a great comment because when we very first got our i3 in 2014 i was really worried about the charging infrastructure and like you said i charge at home i leave it's like your cell phone you leave with a full charge and you don't think about it you drive it all day go to the airport which is pretty far away from here you you know, go all around town go to work go to wherever you don't need to charge it while you're out, which is which is remarkable. And, and we are, I do realize that we are certainly lucky that we have a charger and we live in a house with a charger. You know, people in an apartment and they don't have a dedicated parking spot, and then they have to struggle, to, you know, to find a charging location. You know, that that's a different ballgame. But you know, for us, you know, in a in a house with a charger and leaving with a full charge every day, it's it's been a no-brainer for us. Like it's. I don't know how many gallons of gas we haven't bought from that. And we have 48 solar panels on the, the roof and two solar inverters over there. So, you know, we do, we try to charge it during the day, but, you know, we're frequently at work, so it doesn't, doesn't always work. But the energy when we're not here goes in the grid and then we pull back from the grid. So it's, we have what they call net metering and uh, not, not batteries at home, just batteries in the cars, just not batteries for home charge. So basically what we have concluded is that evs are still very good in the winter you just need to take the proper steps to make sure you can manage the battery and make sure you have good tire good winter tires in your car and you know make sure you kind of plan that little bit extra ahead to precondition your battery and stuff and, and you'll be fine and that evs are you know becoming a little bit easier and, and, and more useful in our everyday lives so we've discussed evs um i wanted we've we're about half hour in so i want to take a, a big left turn here and we're going to go to something that is not an ev something that's very fast and loud and obnoxious and uh i want to talk about the m4 csl because i got to drive that recently Jeal seriously jealous you got that assignment very fun i unfortunately i see the way they did test fest this year a little inside baseball for anyone listening was um we were at a hotel and you know we walk out of the hotel and the 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 parking lot was filled with all the cars we got to drive so we didn't have to leave the hotel at all so get in a car and go and we were in palm springs california and oh, i forgot the the highway route it was but um it took us up this like gorgeous stunning mountain pass like this incredibly like, some of the best roads i've ever driven in the states like near the joshua tree it's a it's a real beautiful area i've been out there once yeah, i'm not from, i'm not familiar with the area but the the road was out absolutely outstanding i drove a four four series grand coupe on those same roads and it is it is it is it's incredible for sure um so perfect roads for an m4 csl my only the only problem was that the m the csl was hard to get uh there they only had two there to drive and you know like 40 you know 40 journalists so it's like everyone's scrambling to get them and i didn't want to get it right away because it was like 60 degrees outside fahrenheit and uh you know actually it was like you know 50 overnight it has it has it has cup two r's on it which are 
a bespoke tire for the M4 CSL, and they do not like the cold. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if they were actually put those on the cars for the US or not, but that's, that's cool if they do. Awesome, but they hate the cold. Oh, for sure. And they, they hate a lot of rain, too. They're they a great track and performance tire, but they're not like an all-season tire. Right. So I was like, I'm not going to be the first one to put these put these cold tires on the mountain. I'm going to let some, someone else take that risk. So uh, that was both a blessing and a curse because uh, it was good for me because I didn't have to, you know, baby cold tires up that mountain and not to not kill myself. But I also, it was so hard to get into the car. So I didn't get to drive it until the end of the day. And there was only like an hour left on the day. And they needed that car back like right away. Because I think they were doing something like promotional filming with it or something. So they were like, you have a like a hard, hard hour to, to, do, to do what you had to do. And it takes 20 minutes just to get to the mountain pass that I needed to go to. So I only got like a few minutes up the mountain before I had to get back. I really did not have enough time at all to like properly feel out the car it's unfortunate were, were, were you dealing with the u.s press team or the german press team because i accidentally kept an i8 like an hour late because i didn't understand when they they said you know half past four they mean you know instead of 4 30 i thought it was 5 30 so i at 4 30 they called me and we had the car i was off by an entire hour because of of how how they do the half hours yeah it, it was um it certainly they're usually actually very good and they were letting us any other car honestly they were kind of letting us take the car because there was enough cars to to go around and they were like letting us kind of just do what do what we wanted during that time uh it was an interesting experience one it's brutal it's so stiff and it's so loud now did you drive the the last gen m4 gts is it like that kind of stiff never driven that um it's it's certainly i've driven like hardcore prepped track cars on the street before and it, it's very similar to that it's not as brutal as that like i remember i drove um a really hooked up m2 competition on like you know it was on the crazy like club sport suspension and it was lowered and it was crazy i actually remember driving that i, I put my wife in the passenger seat and she's like i'm not i, I need you need to get me out of this car like i can't do this anymore yeah they they, they can be pretty pretty stiff so it wasn't that bad but I mean, it's a lot stiffer than a standard M4, and it has, at least the one I had, because there's an option for, like, real racing buckets. What color was it? I mean, I, I would love to have that gray color. Uh, I forgot the name of the color, actually. It escapes me. Yeah, it was the gray one. I had the gray. But the seats were, like, those racing buckets where they, it's not the ones you can get in an M4. They look like that, but they're fixed. So, like, you have to set it up, you know, for yourself for your, your, your own ride height. You can adjust the, like you can, there's a manual lever to adjust the, you can slide it forward and backward. But because the, you can't adjust the seat, like you can't recline the seat, you can't adjust, you can't lower it, you can't raise it, you can't do any of that. It's, it's a fixed racing bucket. Those buckets are different than the buckets that you would get in the, like an M4 competition feel the same they look the same but the, the the seat base is completely like it's you need tools to adjust it like it's if they, they, you set it like when you buy the car you set it up for you and that's it is it still got the same thing with the channels for your legs like a you know you're not crossing your legs yes the, the crotch separator yes it has that um that's my pg that's my pg term for it yeah it's uh long long road trips that gets painful yeah the problem with that in the the csl is because the seat is fixed reaching the pedals was really uncomfortable for me because like bmw set it up so that like in a kind of generic ish position so that like every journalist could fit in it you couldn't adjust it at all that's that's no fun yeah well i mean if you own the car you set it up perfect for yourself but when you're doing a press drive and they have to make sure 30 different journalists can fit inside of it you know they set it up in like a generic spec like a setting and it just didn't fit well for me um because i'm little and it, like i i don't know it's just I, I i was very uncomfortable but the the grip levels are astonishing like once those tires are warm i mean it's i don't think i've ever felt a car that refused to understeer those are the tires they use to set 
lap records at the Nurburgring. It's that that particular tire with the R on it. It's it's, uh, it's crazy. The my, I was a little bit disappointed that it didn't feel that much different from a standard M4. That car is already so good. Yeah, it, the front end bite on it is just so much better than the last generation. Right. So this car feels like that. Just imagine an M4 competition that's, you know, I would say 20% sharper, um, but not that much faster to, like, feeling, because it's essentially the same engine. Not any difference, the same kind of transmission. So, it, you know, that automatic aspect doesn't really slam you in the back like the old DCT did. I love that, that you know, punch with the old DCT. That was just nothing like it. I agree. Um, this was a little smoother than that you know it's you know it's, it feels like the m4 competition it feels a lot like that um just a little raw you know a little more like uh unrefined you know because there's no sound deadening or at least very little so you hear every and no back seat right no no back seat so you get like a like a netting and two spots for helmets so you can put like your helmets underneath like the netting and they don't fall out and all that i know bmw considers the csl quite a bit different than the gts like the gts is supposed to be a track car you know that's why it came with a cage and stuff like that the csl is supposed to be like a really really good like it's a track car but it's also kind of a road car so they're kind of trying to strike that balance a little bit It, it has a little bit of a balance to it so it's not purely a track car but i honestly I wouldn't use it on the road. Like, I wouldn't drive that on a twisty road. It's just too brutal. I can imagine on a track, it's sensational. But, like, you would need to trailer it everywhere because driving that thing in traffic was rough, you know? And it's it still has the same, like, iDrive as, you know, uh, actually, it's iDrive 7. So it has all like, those creature comforts, but... Air conditioning, did it have cup holders? It doesn't have cup holders, no. Does it have cruise control? I, don't, I, I honestly, I have no idea. I didn't, I didn't even look. I don't, don't know how many creature comforts they remove on them you know that once you start taking out uh, cruise control and cup holders it's tough to go distance what makes me laugh about it though is that it doesn't have and this happens in every car like this it doesn't have a like any kind of center armrest cubby i always found that hilarious like isn't that your, your what the emptiness of the cubby is taking up weight yeah they go they chase every ounce it's unbelievable you know what they do to get to make to add light to add lightness is one of the most expensive tricks in the car industry, right? It, it, it's it's interesting. It's like a big bully of a car because it's so fast and has so much grip, and it just it's unrelenting. Stunning, especially in that that uh, gray. I mean, it's just one of my favorite cars that one could buy from BMW right now. But uh, I'm you know I'm sure they're all they're all gone, spoken for. But uh, but gorgeous car. Yeah, it's super interesting car. I'm really excited about the cs to come the m3 cs that's what i'm most more excited about to be honest because i think there's going to trade off a little bit of the csl's brutality with a little more like usability on the road and i think that's going to strike a better balance i don't know if you did you drive the m2 or m5 cs i have been on the racetrack in the m5 cs and uh unfortunately i've not driven it but i have experienced it at like 10 tenths and it was mind-blowing i can imagine that Obviously, that's probably more fun than than me driving it on the road because I can't drive anywhere. I can't drive four of those tenths. Yeah, this this was a guy that was a stig for the Top Gear US. Was the the guy who took me around at the last? Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. So the M5 CS is my favorite. It's probably the best BMW I've ever driven. To be honest with you. Yeah, it uh, it is a remarkable car, and I think what people don't realize is the, how good of a car that was built off of. And I think maybe the 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 one to buy might be the M5 competition because it's 90 plus percent of that car uh and you're not going to have to pay pay that huge extra amount to get it. Here's a little interesting thing about that. I've driven a lot of M5s, F90 M5s. I've driven the regular one, I've driven the M5 competition frequently, and I've driven the M5 CS. And the M5 CS does not feel like any of those. Like, it does not, it, it honestly, like, if you were to get into an M5 competition and jump into a CS, you'd, you'd think you were in different cars. Like, you wouldn't think you were in, the uh, like, an F90 M5. It's so different. There's a magic to this CS. There's a uh, an airfield in Princeton, New Jersey, that they are, they host, a, like, car shows regularly. And so they're very familiar with car 
culture and, and, and car nuts. And didn't you have to get permission to launch that thing too? Like it asked you, hey Houston, can we launch this thing? I had to ask BMW for permission to launch it. And they gave me that they were like, as long as you check the tire pressures and make sure everything is, you know, correct. And, you know, you warm up the, the tires first and you warm up the oil, you warm up the engine, everything is, you know, correct. You can do, you can do, a, I was allowed three launches. They told me I could do three launches, zero uh, quarter mile launches. And, um, I had to be rented the runway. It was really cheap. Um, they let us use the runway for the, for like a couple hours. I broke under 11 seconds in the quarter mile. Wow, that's crazy. For a road, regular road car. Where the temperature, ambient temperatures out? Was it summertime, warm? Like August, if I remember, it was like, it was last year. So it was not this past summer, it was the previous one. So I think it was like August-ish, but it was early in the morning. It was probably like seven o'clock in the morning. When I rode in the one in, in Florida, the Daytona, it, it was like record cold and it, they even got below freezing a for a couple hours. And you know, they, they were just pounding these cars on the racetrack, giving these rides and going sideways. I mean, they were just, I don't know. It was one of, one of my favorite rides I've had. I've had some great rides, but that was a blast, especially because there's like four people in the car. It was just mind blowing. You no, know, it's definitely like the best BMW in the past. I would say since the E46 M3 CSL. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that car. It's getting close to the 25 year mark. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, not too distant future maybe start to see those get imported to the u.s i bet they do quickly and if i was anyone you know any kind of smart person which i'm not i would go and get one i'd get a left-hand drive one in europe and i'd bring it to that shop in the uk that swaps out the smg for the manual there's the, i don't know if you've seen that there's like a specialty shop in uh, in the uk yeah uh, i've i've had i've had buddies that have done that um and i've helped with that it's it's a lot of work and i mean you talk about you having to bend tubes to shove through the firewall for the where the clutch. I mean, it's just all this stuff you wouldn't have thought of. I mean, it's doable, but you know, props to the people that do it because it is a ton of work. Well, apparently, there's this shop in the UK that they 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 like specialize in it. Like that's their thing is they specialize in SMG swaps and they do it for the uh, the E60 M5 as well. But you know that's the big question. Would you do that? <laughs> Leave the comments below, right? If you could get an M4 or sorry, E46 M3 CSL, would you swap out the SMG or would you not? Is it going to damage the value of the car? I don't I've I've driven SMG cars from that era and I am not a fan, you know, I had a buddy drive, you know, take one out. We rented the track, you know, every year and, and, uh, we had a guy drive one and when he drove it, it off that when he was done, the car never shifted the same again. They're good full throttle, but they're outside of that. Maybe not so much. I would definitely do the manual swap if it was me. And I would say value be damned. I would rather have the, the more fun driving car. Wow. Well, that's cool. So I want to shift gears again a little bit because we are uh, running out of time a little bit, but I want to shift gears to back to EVs a little bit to a car that you recently drove that, that you wanted to talk about. And that's the uh, iX xDrive 50. Yes. Yeah. I, I drove a BMW. My local dealer here, Baron BMW, was kind enough to give me one for three or four days. And I got to really kind of, you know, live with it for a while and see what it was like. And the first thing I have to say, the number one impression was when you floor it, watch out. That car is so fast. I just, I couldn't believe how fast that was. I w it was not expecting it. Um, it's an EV, you know, do you think efficiency, you think, you know, save the planet or whatever. I don't know, whatever. It, it was not what I was expecting when I hammered that car. I was just blown away and then I had my wife drive it and then, then, you know, she hammered it and then I'm in the passenger seat and you're like, holy cow, like, especially when you don't expect it. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And I can't even imagine the 60 and then the XM, like I just, I can't comprehend, you know, cars keep getting so fast and that was staggeringly fast. I've driven the, I've driven both the extra 50 and the M60. Honestly, they, this M60 doesn't feel that much faster. And it's fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 more. I honestly, I remember driving it in the first thing I, cause I drove the 50 first and I loved it. I really loved it. I thought it was an amazing car. Um, I don't like the way it looks, but I, I love the drive. I, I think it's a, a fantastic car. Looks have grown on me for sure. I think when I first saw it, I think I like my heart's like skipped 
you know, or stopped. I don't, and not in a good way, right? It just was like, oh my gosh. But over time, uh, it's grown on me. Right. Yeah. No, I, I don't hate it. You know, I think it's, I think it has some redeeming angles. Like, I think it looks good from the back. I think it looks good in profile. It just has a freakish face. Yeah, I have some pictures of this one next to the IX. And to go from these grills to the grills on the IX, you're just like, you've got these Jason Camisa cartoonish, you know, pictures start popping up in my head. Uh, he's panned BMW in that for those pretty hard, viciously in the past. Camisa is a, you know, he's a big BMW guy. He's had a... a He's had more BMWs than any other car. You know, we had him on this podcast as well. You know, we've talked to him before. Yeah, no, he's a super cool guy. I talked to him at car shows. Right, and he's had a lot of BMWs, and I think a lot of BMW fans like him uh, and myself and, and a lot of other BMW fans kind of feel like, what the hell, man? Like, this is not the BMW that I, I know and love, and it feels different, but, you know, that's, that's you know, I think a different topic for a different time. I mean, the iX is... It looks weird, but it is a great driving car. Dynamically, yeah, BMW nailed it on that dynamically. Uh, and I think, you know, on the luxury scale of stuff, it's it's quite a bit different. It's it's moved the luxury in a different direction. I think it's the first time in person that I got to experience the iDrive 8 and, and how that whole thing interacts with the car. And it, it's kind of like learning a new language, but it, it was really cool. And, and the technology and the performance of the car is, is you know, amazing. Now, what, what disappointed me about the car was the practicality. I thought, to me, it's really almost the size of an X5. And I thought it would be close to as practical as an X5. But if you, you can't put anything in the front trunk, you can, and I did get in the front trunk on this one, you, you can pull these service things. There's one on each side of the car and you pull them and you can get the, get the hood open in the front, but it's really for service only. Um, in the i3, you know, it has a very small front trunk. You can use it for a gallon of milk, some Chinese takeout, but it's there. It's usable. I just assumed the iX, the front end would be usable, especially I thought it would be a lot bigger. And then the trunk was not that big. So it's, uh, so from, from a space wise on the inside i was kind of surprised that this the usable space for it was kind of small um, but luxury performance out of this world you know the way i drove it it didn't get that really good of mileage but you know i wasn't i couldn't help myself right it was you know it was hard to drive it efficiently you know i think if you drive it if i drove it regularly i would be getting probably two, two and a half miles per kilowatt. This gets four miles per kilowatt. Uh, for example, uh, Tesla will also go about four miles per kilowatt. They go by uh, watts per mile. I don't know why these are so different, but but its efficiency is is not there, especially if you can't keep your foot out of the throttle. And I I could not control myself. The car was just too much fun to drive. And But, I, you know, it'd be a fun car to have, but it's also... You know, the one I drove was a hundred thousand dollars, and that's uh, that's a lot of car to use um, as a commuter car. So it's funny you mentioned efficiency. I did a range test in the the X Drive Fifty. Um, I actually was buying a car for myself, and it was out in Pennsylvania, so like maybe it was probably like almost three hours from me. And I drove the iX there to to go look at the car, and I was like, oh, let's it'll be a fun little range test. Let's see what I can do, and I was like. You know, it was probably 300 miles round trip, you know, or close to it. And did you have plenty of chargers that you could use on along the way, like the Electrify America type bailouts if you got in trouble? Where I was going in Pennsylvania, my destination was in the middle of nowhere. So no, there were no chargers. Once I got back into Jersey, there were enough chargers where I was going to be okay. So I was like, as long as I can make it back to New Jersey, I'll be all right. Um, and I made it home without having to charge it at all. Uh, with like 40 miles still left on the, the battery. So I drove real, like I, I, I wrote, I did a video on it, uh, like last year or so, uh, or like, you know, maybe like March or something ish. So I don't remember the exact specific numbers, but I got back with so much more range that I thought the efficiency I got in the extra 50 was really surprising. I got like well over three, um, miles per kilowatt hour. 
Right, I think it has a 104 kilowatt hour battery pack, and if you went three per, you know, you would you would you would have over 300. That's that is very impressive, right? I was very impressed, and then I drove the M60 in the summer, and I took my my wife and I. We took like just just like a kind of a day trip for ourselves, and we just kind of were driving to. We went to like Cape May, New Jersey, and which is about an hour and a half from me. You know, about maybe I don't know. 70 miles or so and with a full battery going there and back it was actually like we had range anxiety on the way back it was it was burning through our battery for some reason the m60 was so much and i was driving my wife is terrified of accelerations like i couldn't hammer it um because it was like scaring the crap out of her yeah if you don't like it and you get it that you that's that people don't like it so i had to baby it and i got way less efficiency out of the m60 than the xr50 and i don't know why wonder if uh significantly bigger wheels and tires i, I don't know for sure the performance ones like if you if you look at uh like even on the tesla side and the bmw i3s versus i3 that i3s does not go as far as the three because it's using grippier tires and it's maybe a little wider so there's definitely some lost efficiencies on the performance evs for sure. The other thing is sometimes if you get a bad headwind and you're going into a headwind, you know, or a storm front is coming at you, it's going to suck. It can ruin your day on a, a EV trip for sure. The iX is surprisingly, it has a pretty good coefficient of drag for such a big car. Um, I think it's like 0.26 or something or 0.28. I don't know. It's pretty good for an electric car, like, or for, for an SUV. It's pretty good. For sure. But even those, I mean, are affected the, the faster you go, the, you know, the more just temperature changes out, like the cold weather storm front pushing into you, driving into a headwind can really kill your range. So I'm curious if what the weather was then, you know, the winds and stuff. Sometimes you can, you can cheat and draft behind, uh, get up behind a semi and draft and while they're punching a hole down the, the highway. I've done that quite a bit. One thing I've also noticed with the iX was that it's, it's adaptive cruise control and, you know, like uh, semi-autonomous, I don't know what BMW calls it, but semi-autonomous driver aids where, you know, it drives itself and all that. It's so good that I hate those systems. I never use them. BM, even BMWs, actually most BMWs, I hate it. Yeah, I think it, it bounces too much between the lane markers and drives me insane. But um, this the iX is really good, and I, I actually kept it on so much, and I realized that it it's it's so much better at r regulating the throttle to 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 be efficient than I am. Yeah, we have adaptive cruise on this i3, and I use it all the time. It otherwise you're feathering your foot on the, the 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 throttle or the gas pedal if you will otherwise you find you're just constantly throttling but but you set like you said those active adaptive cruise controls on evs it's it's almost like it should be a standard accessory because they're they're so good and and you're right the ix i thought was remarkable their execution in it is great and it's very crude in this one um it's not nearly as good and the ix i thought was much better yeah it's really good and um, how do you like the interior? Because I think the iX's interior is like fantastic. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's definitely a different way for a BMW. Like if I think that our 2021 X3 is beautiful on the inside. It's got the different, you know, colored seats compared to the walls and the floor. And it's beautiful. And then you get in the iX and it's just gorgeous on a whole nother level. Like it's another, it's like the future. Uh, it's just... Uh, it really, I mean, and heated and ventilated seats and, you know, I mean, just, it's a great place to be, really. It, it's it's a gorgeous interior. It's very stylish. It's very unique. Um, I love some of the color choices. Like, I, my the, the M60 I had was had, like, this gorgeous red interior, you know, and the, the bronze accents and all that for the M Performance one. And I love the material choices. I, I think it's just a, a gorgeous-looking car. Yeah, that uh, you know, I think the price point's going to keep it from selling a lot. I mean, there are only so many people that want to buy a hundred thousand dollar car. Uh, for you know, I think the i four is going to sell a lot better. I think you know, its price point's a lot better. It's you know, it's a fantastic EV. You know, I did, some kind of don't like the fact that it's a multi-platform chassis, right? That you can put a gas engine, a diesel engine in it, or an electric motor, and all 
cram everything full of batteries and then it's an i4 um i do respect the engineering you know prowess that went into to, to designing a platform that can handle any of that that was kind of pretty ingenious really but you know it you end up with some weight penalties in that but the ix is a dedicated electric platform and you know it shouldn't have any of those wasted ounces and that's cool that she did a 300 mile trip in it i i didn't that's the one thing i didn't do with it was go on a massive trip and all i could think of with the way i was you know driving the thing was like man i can't go more than a couple hundred miles in this because it's like a gas hog electric gas hog right but but that was clearly my own fault it's a big car and you know you accelerate heavily in those and they don't you know their your gas bill is going to be high but it's a cool car you know, I'm sure it'll sell well, but the, you're going to probably see a lot more iForce than iAxis. But it's it's a beautiful car, no doubt. Before we go, because uh, we were hitting an hour now, so I'll, I'll let you run. But I would, you you mentioned that you didn't you, you didn't appreciate that the i4 was based on the CLAR platform, C L A R platform, like the scalable architecture that basically every BMW is built on right now. Um, so yeah, gas, diesel, electric, it's everything. And while that's impressive from a technical standpoint, um, it it is inherently like a jack of all trades is inherently bad, like not great at anything. Do you know what I mean? So it's not great at being an EV platform. Um, but BMW is working on the the new class, the Neue Klasse of it's the new new class, you know now, uh, and it's going to be an all electric dedicated EV platform, and I think that's going to change. The game significantly for BMW's efficiency, uh, range because it's new new battery uh, cell technology. Yeah, just wait till the future and solid state batteries hit here. We'll quit talking about range anxiety. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know, but I think some companies are working on it right now. But like working on production versions in the next maybe I'd say before twenty thirty. But you know, once that new platform comes out, I think you're gonna have you know much more interesting cars that can have you know. Uh, far better battery technology to provide bit longer ranges to provide uh better efficiency you know motor efficiency lighter weights um and hopefully in my personal opinion hopefully nicer designs but that's just maybe me complaining yeah i think because we were just talking we talked a lot about efficiency in this and um a lot of that efficiency has to do with weight you know the modern bmws are very heavy yeah that's the beauty about the i3 is the the platform that it's built on it's like there is it's carbon fiber reinforced you know shell and then there's you know metallic crash structure in the battery that helps also with the crash structure um but you tap on this stuff and it's you know it's super lightweight it's like plastic and you open the door frame and it looks like you can see that stuff like you would let see in a mclaren it's just fascinating and i can't believe what these cars go for in the used market it's it's a technologic bargain really from a build standpoint i think electronics are dated clearly now compared to others but um, the build quality is still there i drive only old cars so i don't have any uh, technology in any of my cars but um uh, so I'm, I don't care about that. But I, honestly, I actually just read an article about how poorly the batteries degrade in i3s. They were like seeing 2014 i3s with like less than 80% of their original battery life. Yeah, you know, the the warranty, I believe, was eight years, 80%. Um, you know, but, but where the original i3s, where they get in trouble, I think, is that, that the original range was 80 miles. If you lose some range in that, and then, then you add you know, well below freezing temperatures and you don't precondition the battery and then you're in trouble. So that that's gets stressful. When we went to the middle size battery on the I3, all our wintertime range anxiety went away with the 33 kilowatt hour battery. With the 44 kilowatt hour battery, like we have no range anxiety in the winter with this thing in town. It just, but, but with the original one, even when it was new, if it was 80 miles and then it was freezing cold i did a video we'll see if we can't link it on the bottom in the freezing cold winter you know all of a sudden if you're going 55 or 60 miles with that car when it's new you let it degrade a little bit and then yeah then it's gonna you're gonna have it's gonna be painful you know hopefully ship it to south california and then let people drive it in ideal weather and then it'll be more useful i suppose if, if there wasn't battery deg issues i honestly would get a used one because I love the the chassis, brilliant. 
I love the way they drive. The middle ones, like the 20, late 2017s, 2018 on, you know, are fine. The, but the very first, the 22 kilowatt hour batteries, it's a, it's a handful. Because you have 18.8 usable, I think is what it was. I mean, you had less range than a Nissan Leaf at the time. That's not great. We had, like the, the very first day we bought ours, we drove it over 100 miles. But of course, you know, we went somewhere, we charged, we went somewhere else, we charged there. So... Now add eight years to them and a little degradation like you talk about, and then you add cold weather, and that that's going to be it's going to be a tough car in the winter unless you keep it fully charged and you charge, you know, and you don't have to go far. But you were saying because it's light, it's so light, it's extremely light. I don't remember the curb weight on it, but it is very light. You and you get you just said you can get about four miles per kilowatt hour, so lightweight, man. It's a tiny little engine, small battery, but lightweight. You get good efficiency. Add lightness. It's the it's the most expensive thing car car wise to do, right? That's right. All these years, right? It was right back in the '60s. Simplify and add lightness. So I will end it there. Thank you so much, Chuck, for for joining us and kicking off uh, our second season. So um, you know, I, Horatio couldn't join us today, but uh, he will be around. You know, the next time we chat. Yeah, he's had some amazing adventures. I look forward to your your future podcast with him. So thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, man.